0: Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase.
1: Hi, this is Kate Sikobi.
2: And Rich Landau.
1: And we're from V
0: Street, and we're really proud of our brand new book, V Street, The Cookbook. V Street, The Cookbook is a celebration of the great street food of the world. In terms of your restaurants, how is V Street different from your other restaurant, Veg?
2: Well, actually, V Street is... Much more casual than Veg. Um, it's you know Veg kind of took on a life of its own. It's funny you know you can come up with all these concepts of what you want your restaurant to be, but ultimately it's the um, it's the customers that will tell you what it's really going to be. And Veg became a very um, I don't want to call it a fancy place, but it became um, uh, it, it got pretty big. Um, it got some national attention, and then it became a special occasion restaurant. You know every vegan and vegetarian. In the tri-state area was coming in to celebrate their anniversary or their birthday or something, and people were dressing up. Um, I mean, it's a very nice place and a beautiful building, and it does lend itself to a finer dining experience. And so we felt that we, um, the edge and veg, was still something we needed to say. Um, you know, yes, veg is cutting edge as far as you know what we're doing with vegetables. Uh, um, as far as kind of like exploring the boundaries of what can be done. But there was that kind of spicier, grittier kind of message that we wanted to get across that was so important to us. And that's why we uh, opened B Street. It was just something from a culinary aspect that we still needed to say um, and an experience we wanted people to have.
1: And where the influence on our menu at Veg is all just about the vegetables themselves and highlighting them in really interesting ways that celebrate their unique flavors and textures the inspiration for V Street comes from all over the world. You know, we're not trying to replicate an exact dish that we've had during, you know, our travels or, you know, something that's stimulated us from another culture. But it, this is like our take on, um, you know,
0: what it would be like if, if we were going to try to veganize some street foods across the globe. Your travel journal pages are interspersed in this cookbook with places like Tokyo, Marrakesh, and Brazil. Where is your favorite place in the world for street food?
2: I would say Morocco was the one that moved us the most. Uh, First of all, there's so much there for us to eat. We were worried when we went there, Uh, you know, what what, what do vegans and vegetarians eat when they go to Morocco? (laughs) It it turns out everything. It's, It's an incredibly friendly place for us. And we found the most incredible things just, you know, walking down the street one day, even after lunch, we're like, oh, wow, onion crepes. Looks amazing. Had to go in there and eat, even though we just ate lunch. These things just kept popping up at us that we had to eat, even though we were full. And to me, that's what makes a great food experience is when, you know, you, you just have to keep eating. <laughs> so, so Morocco is definitely, definitely up there with that one. But uh, anywhere in Asia, too, I think is, is pretty, um, pretty high up there with street food as well.
1: The first thing that jumps to my mind is actually uh, an experience from many, many years ago. We were in Antigua, and we had rented a car, and we were exploring the island, and we saw an ITAL food shack, and we kind of, like, immediately we had a right for it, and uh, had the most amazing, like, styrofoam container piled high with all these different beautiful curries and um, gorgeous rice, and it was just, like, so aromatic and delicious, and everything was completely, you know, Rasta-style, like, it was just such a delicious meal like coming right out of these beautiful clay pots um so yeah any opportunity where we can just kind of connect with uh the local people who are cooking their favorite foods you know for everyday people not for special occasions but just like what do you eat on an everyday basis it tells us so much about the culture
2: and it, and if you just ate and you find more street food duty calls you have to to <laughs> keep get. eating
0: yeah. i find that most street food is chicken beef, pork, or some sort of mystery meat. Was it hard to find vegetarian street food?
2: Yes. In a lot of places, we, we really stumbled. Uh, a place like Hong Kong, where we thought it would be a breeze to eat uh, vegan uh, street food, nothing. I mean, just a whole bunch of dead animal carcasses hanging everywhere. So, I mean, it was really, uh, you know, there was really nothing there as far as Hong Kong went. We, you know, we found some decent uh, meals and restaurants in Hong Kong, but we didn't just walk the streets and, you know, get flooded with options there. Uh, it's a little bit easier, I think, in Japan and in Korea um, and in, uh, in Singapore. Uh, it all comes down to, there, you know, there's a great Buddhist tradition all throughout Asia. And it all comes down to how prevalent that is in that particular culture. And, you know, the, the, more, the more you see the, the more Buddhist you have, the more vegetarian options you have.
0: How has the idea of being vegan changed over the years for you? I started up with Rich in the restaurant in 2001.
1: And back at that time, it was funny because vegetarian was uh, sort of off-putting to a lot of people, let alone vegan. And now here we are, 2016, I think vegan has become such a buzzword um, where it's no longer strange or, or, you know, baffling to people. I think it's actually become, in some cases, very trendy. And some people, celebrities especially, have made it. Um, Kind of, you know, like something that a lot of people are more interested in learning about and incorporating into their lifestyle. And the word incorporating is interesting because I also see this change where even five years ago, if you were going to be part of this very exclusive vegan club, you had to be strict, you know, and there were sort of like a vegan police out to get you, prove you wrong if you if you wavered. Um, but what I've noticed, you know, because we like to think that we pay close attention to the food aspect of, you know, this movement, but then beyond the food, I think that anybody who's, you know, been vegetarian, vegan um, in recent years, there's been this more inclusive effort to encourage people to lean vegetarian and vegan. You don't have to commit and be perfect, but, you know, baby steps, leading in that direction, um, trying to, incorporate more of that philosophy into your lifestyle has been much more accepted. And I think it's more effective because people, you know, you don't want to be feeling threatened, like you've got to overhaul your entire life. So for that reason, I think a lot more people are open-minded to, you know, maybe, maybe it's one meal once a week or, or whatever it is, but uh, a lot more people are interested in plant-based foods these days.
2: And I'll add it culturally. I think it's fascinating how much, uh, how mainstream, veganism has become, Uh, and you know, this is really just the beginning, but we see, we saw the changes early on. Uh, For instance, a a bus goes by with a billboard on it for Silk, Um, Morningstar Farms on a commercial on TV. But, you know, maybe, uh, you know, and we see these for the first time and we're just shocked by it because you would have never, ever seen this five, six, seven years ago. And yet it's happening. So now it's become, oh, there's the Morningstar Farms commercial again, no big deal. But, you know, perhaps the, um, the most interesting thing we saw was on Saturday Night Live when um, Dustin Timberlake uh, dressed up as a block of tofu singing, come on down to vegan town <laughs> uh, and just kind of, you know, going back and forth with this, this guy who makes sausage. And Kate and I just sat there watching it, waiting for the punchline. OK, when are they going to make fun of the vegans? When, you know, are, <laughs> what, what's going to happen? When's someone really skinny going to come out? When's, um, wh- whatever it's going to be, we were waiting for the punchline. And there, wa- there wasn't a punchline. It was just kind of, you know, it wasn't celebrating what we're doing, but it was just speaking of how mainstream this has become. It is a commonplace word. We were watching uh, a House of Cars the other night, and the word vegan popped up on there just as a part of a conversation, not this wow kind of do you believe these people kind of thing. It just happened to be in the conversation. So it's amazing. Um, as students of this, uh, of this uh, progress, as students of this movement, It's amazing to see all the baby steps turn into these kind of big leaps as we're going on.
0: Your carrots caught my eye in this cookbook. I noticed that you leave on the skin. Describe your technique for carrots.
2: Well, one of the reasons we leave the skin on, I mean, you have to find the right carrots. You know, if the carrots have dirty, you know, gritty, hairy skin, you got to peel it. But the particular carrots we get, which are actually jumbo organic juicing carrots, have beautiful skin. And that's where a lot of the flavor is. And you can also, when you cook them right, get this kind of like um, almost uh, blistery, crackly effect on the skin, which is beautiful. To me, when you peel a carrot and it's really bright orange, it uh, it's beautiful and it's great that I, that exists in nature, but it looks like a salad to me. I like the rusticity of leaving the skin on. And for, you know, as, for, as elegant as we sometimes tell people veg has become, it is a very rustic place to eat. Um, my... My mantra with our our kitchen staff is um, rustic elegance when it comes down to cooking the food. Make it beautiful on the plate, but have this element of rusticity on there, this kind of raw, kind of in the garden, over the campfire feeling when you're eating. And leaving the skin on the carrots is one example of that. Uh, So our carrots uh, start with a a stock. They're blanched in a a kind of an aromatic broth of bay leaf, uh, peppercorn, and thyme. After that, they're roasted in the oven with some steak spice, like Montreal steak spice, because it's not just for steaks, it's for carrots, too. And then they come off and they go over the wood grill where we have this kind of a melange of applewood, cherry, and um, mesquite chips. And they kind of open up and get all this smoky, delicious flavor in there, and they get a few char marks on them. So when they finish for the customer, they they go they go on the plancha, which is the flat top grill, and that's where they really caramelize and all the sugars from the carrot comes out, and the skin gets kind of blistery and and stands out a bit. It's it's a beautiful effect, and again, it's that it's that all at once rustic and elegant on the plate.
0: So you have an ingenious chapter called Shopping the Markets, where you list go-to items at different ethnic markets. Oftentimes, I walk into a market such as an Indian market, and i don 't know where to begin. We worked with um, some pretty fantastic publishers who really helped us
1: create a book that would be very user friendly and This was a, a wonderful example of you know how can we not just give a bunch of recipes to people but how can we kind of walk them through the experience of you know, start to finish, like, where do you get the ingredients? How do you go through that store with confidence and, and know how to sort through maybe a bunch of ingredients that aren't familiar to you. And we feel the same way, you know, when we are fortunate in, um, you know, the the Philadelphia area to have a lot of really different ethnic markets that bring in products that you can't find in a larger, more mainstream supermarket. And so we go, kind of go in there with our tail between our legs and, We walk up and down, maybe try to ask questions if we can. But, you know, we read labels as best we can, and then we'll come home and experiment. And so we put that forth as an effort to sort of let people know that even as chefs, it can be daunting sometimes when you're approaching the new food culture and, um, especially, you know, in a vegan umbrella. So, um, we, we were really proud of that. I think it was kind of setting a good tone for how to approach the book and hopefully giving people some very practical information
0: that they could use to, to make these recipes a big success. So Kate, describe your vegan ice cream. The sweet corn ice cream looks so good. When, when I'm creating a dessert menu, I like to imagine, you know, the whole experience uh, for our guests
1: when they're sitting down and what do they really want at the end of their meal. So at the end of a V Street meal, you've probably had a nice range of all different ethnic foods and um, probably a certain amount of spice <laughs> throughout the di- the dinner. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to capture some good, like, street food desserts um, And in large part, ice cream is really important. We even invested in a beautiful soft serve machine. So that's been kind of fun getting to, you know, uh, work with that over now two years. Um, But the sweet corn ice cream was uh, something we created to go with our ice Um, kachang. This is a traditionally Malaysian dessert of shaved ice with different flavored syrups, maybe sweetened condensed milk, a lot of different maybe gummies and um, fermented fruits, pickled fruits, beans, a really interesting textural experience. And oftentimes you'll actually, um, sort of in Southeast Asian desserts, you'll see corn incorporated maybe just like, uh, like roasted corn or, um, you know, kind of spooned on as like a sauce even. Um, so for me, I've worked with corn in, in many different ways, uh, oftentimes it's cornbread and desserts at veg. So that was kind of an easy go-to for me, um, just for the, the, the sweetness, the natural sugars in corn. Um, I feel like it it just makes a beautiful base for ice cream. Um, so for that particular dish, we mix that with, uh, blackberry granita and a a bunch of different like pickled fruits and and beans. And it's just a really fun celebratory dessert, especially when you've had
0: some spicy food. It's a great way to like cool down your palate. On Sunday, I made your recipe for sesame rice balls on page 157. Talk a little bit about how you interpreted the sesame rice ball recipe.
1: So this one was kind of like one of those sort of like sweet, savory items. And, and, you know, we developed a sort of a rice flour dough that would work well for us. Um, And, you know, it just was kind of one of those fun things. I think we actually put it on our menu around New Year's and we were um, working with them as sort of like a compliment to a little tasting menu that we did. Um, But it's always nice to have a a range of things in your repertoire at the restaurant, but this one in particular, I thought translated pretty well for for a home cook. Um, When we were in Tokyo... Um, I remember thinking like that the dessert options weren't all that vast, you know, it's like a lot of mochi and, um, you know, green tea ice creams and things like that. So it's, it's a little bit of a adjustment when you're thinking of like certain Asian style desserts and how you're going to incorporate them onto uh, a broader menu over here. Um, but that was one
0: that we thought was a nice Band that's you know just lightly on the sweet side you have a really easy bean paste recipe too that was simple to make.
1: Good yeah I mean it's and that's the kind of thing that you know again it's like you're putting out a cookbook you want to encourage people to be able to make things from scratch at home and obviously you could buy a bean paste but you can make it so easily and so with such pure ingredients and that you know it's it's a nice uh, you can feel so accomplished and it's actually not all that hard right and I did. <laughs> And I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. That's the last step in every good recipe, right? To take a picture and put it on Instagram.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So where can we find you in Philadelphia and on the web? Online, we are at bstreetfood.com. And uh, on
1: that website, you can link to our other restaurants, vegrestaurant.com, brand new fast casual. It's WizKid. And uh, here in Philadelphia, you can visit us at V Street in Rittenhouse right on 19th. The address is 126 South 19th Street. And then Veg is on uh, Locust Street at 1221 Locust Street. WizKids just opened inside the new Whole Foods at 2001 Pennsylvania Avenue. And that's a small little location, our very first the sort of flagship with kit is going to roll out next to v street at the end of this year the address there will be 124 south 19th street and again that'll be a few months out
0: rich and kate you have taught us that you don't have to eat animals to have a good meal thanks so much for coming on cookery by the book podcast
2: thanks. our pleasure